I want to uh, begin with a quote. I mean, it was a book that I thought was intriguing, and it, it talked about, it was called The Cure for Groups, C-U-R-E, um, and then it talked about how to, uh, I think it's, the subtitle was, How to Lead a Small Group, You'll Be Talking About the Rest of Your Lives. Um, so I'm like, okay, that's kind of a big promise. Um, but one of the quotes from there that I found, what I really enjoyed is this. It said, vulnerability is trusting others with the real you. Letting someone see your needs is what it means to be vulnerable. When we let someone meet our needs, that is what it means to receive love. When we choose to not be vulnerable, we're saying, I don't need you. I just want to reread the first sentence. Vulnerability is trusting others with the real you, that you're putting the real you out there, the real you with all of your fears and issues and feelings and desires and dreams, the real you getting put out there, and it's trusting others uh, to do something with that that isn't harmful, to, to love the real you as you expose it, as opposed to having walls up and shields and whatever else we might use to conceal the real us. But it's, here's me, this is who I am. And vulnerability is trusting others with the real you. And I want you in your groups to answer this question. Um, what are unhelpful ways people tend to respond to other people's needs, weaknesses, and failures? So what are unhelpful ways that uh, people tend to respond to other people's needs, weaknesses, and failures? I'll share in your groups those unhelpful ways. Anybody want to share some things your group said or something you said that was helpful, unhelpful ways people tend to respond to other people's needs, weaknesses, failures? Dismiss them. So here's this thing I need. Yeah, dismiss it. Mm-hmm. Other things you guys said? That they can relate to it, but they make it more about their ex- similar experience. Than gotcha. So it's kind of like, I, I felt that once too. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's kind of related to themselves, bring it back to them. Well, like that, it's like you try to make your problems worse than theirs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. let me tell you. Yeah. 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 Okay. Almost a competition. 
belittling or like kind of like that's not a big deal. Mm, yeah. That's not a big deal. Like, like so worked up about. Yeah. I think you said also I sort of unsolicited advice that's really not advice. Hmm. Just kind of a fixing, like, hey, I want to give you, I tell you what to do here. Yeah. Yeah. Could get uh, angry. They might get angry, yeah. If it's a you know, weakness or failure, like, and it's affecting them, or even not affecting them, they might get angry, upset with you, frustrated, annoyed, lose patience. Yeah, there's lots of ways. I'm sure all of us have experienced somebody responding to a need we put out there, or to a weakness, or to a failure in an unhelpful way. Um, I'd be surprised if I said, raise your hand if you've experienced that and nobody put their hand up, because I'm sure we all have, probably this week, perhaps yesterday. And we're going into this series, a three-week series in Psalm 23, uh, to look forward to Christmas. And Christmas is about uh, Emmanuel, God with us, God coming to be with us. Um, And one of the great images of that is a shepherd being with the sheep, that the shepherd is with the sheep, God being with us. And there's a number of ways you can go through the Bible and kind of understand how it's put together. And there's a class I took um, in seminaries, like my first semester, and it just kind of blew my mind and put the whole Bible together for me. And it was, what we did in that class was we looked at the various themes that run from the beginning of the Bible to the end. And they're like threads. Each one is like this thread holding the whole thing together. And it starts off typically in Genesis is where you see the first seed of this a thread, and then you just follow it throughout the whole history of God's people in the Old Testament, and then ultimately the people of Israel are looking forward to the fulfillment of this. God's going to send the Messiah. God's going to send uh, the Christ. He's going to send this king who's going to rule over us and bring his kingdom. And then they're all looking forward to this, and then Jesus comes and he fulfills all those threads, um, and they're already uh, here. We're experiencing the fulfillment of them, and yet they're not yet fully um, fulfilled, and so it's those themes start in the beginning, there's a need and longing for it, Jesus fulfills it, and he will completely uh, set it in motion and establish it in the future when he returns. And so these were called uh, just these threads, showing us that the Bible is one story that leads to Jesus. And one of those threads you can follow is the theme of shepherd. Others are the theme of sacrifice, the theme of priest, the theme of temple. Um, those are just, so just to name some, you can start at the beginning of the Bible and read it all the way through, seeing kind of these pit stops on the way where God talks about this. And one is of God being our shepherd. And Psalm 23 has become just you know, a famous and cherished psalm for a reason, because uh, David, the man who's writing it, was king of Israel in about 1,000 B.C., so like 1,000 years before Jesus. And he is the king of Israel, and he has... He's writing about, this is what God is like to me. This is my real life, personal experience of what God is like. It's like his testimony saying, um, this is how I've experienced God. This is real life. Like I've had, If you read about David in the Bible, um, he had a rough life. He made some he had people doing things to him um, that were hurtful. He did some things that were hurtful that had really terrible consequences. And he's trying to lead this nation while there's people that are out to get him. There's traitors. There's you know, civil wars that he experiences. And it's just, he has a rough life. And as he writes these words, we can know that this isn't just some dude, like, sitting off, like, I don't know, on his vacation or his beach home, where he doesn't work, he doesn't do anything, he has no troubles. Yeah, it's easy for you to write that when you're, you know, on the cruise, David. Um, but I'm in real life. And but David wrote this in the middle of his life. And we'll find uh, him bringing up some of the, that pain later on in the psalm. But today we're just focusing on verses 1 through 3. And the question really is that, what we said before, vulnerability is trusting others with the real you. And so is it safe to be honest with God about our needs, our weaknesses, 
and our failures? How does God respond to our needs, weaknesses, and failures? Is it safe uh, to trust God with the real me? Can I show him who I really am with all my needs, all my desires, all my dreams, my weaknesses, my failures? Can I show that to him? And this psalm speaks powerfully to that. But we might should ask the question, well, why sheep and shepherd? Why does he write uh, using the sheep and shepherd imagery in this psalm? And there's three uses of the word shepherd in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but mostly in the Old. One is that God is the shepherd. God is the shepherd of his people. You see this in Psalm 78:52, Psalm 79:13. God is the shepherd of his people. But then you also see that human leaders are described as shepherds in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, Moses in Isaiah 63:11 is described as the shepherd of Israel. Psalm 78, 70-71, David is described as the shepherd of Israel. And so human leaders are described as shepherds. And in the New Testament, of course, the word pastor um, comes has its roots in that language of shepherd, that uh, elders or pastors are set over God's people to shepherd them. So Old Testament and New Testament, we saw that in 1 Peter chapter 5. And thirdly, um, the prophets talked about a new leader who had come to shepherd God's people. So God is shepherd, human leaders as shepherd, and the prophets said God's going to bring a new leader who's going to shepherd his people. And we see this in passages like Micah 5.4, which talks about the shepherd being born in Bethlehem. This is one of the passages we read at Christmas time that I'm, God says, I'm going to bring a shepherd, I'm going to bring a king to shepherd my people. And so people were looking forward to this, and then we see in the New Testament that the authors say, this is fulfilled in Jesus, that the shepherd God was promising, the new leader has come. And in one passage, Ezekiel 34, all three come together. There's the bad human leader shepherds, there's God says he's going to shepherd his people, and then he says, I'm going to shepherd my people through this new shepherd that I'm going to bring about. And he talks about that in Ezekiel 34. And so sheep and shepherd, shepherd is a big image um, for God and leaders in the Bible. But we can also ask, well, what are sheep like? Why would God describe us as sheep. If he's a shepherd, that means we're the sheep. And the reality about sheep is that they're very needy. Uh, they can't take care of themselves. They need continuous um, leadership and protection, attention and care. They need to be led and protected. They're fear- fearful. Uh, you can have a rabbit run out of a bush, then the whole, you know, whole flock could run off uh, and be scared. Um, they're stubborn. Uh, they're destructive to themselves and everything else if left to themselves. They just really, like, they'll just sit in one plot of land and just keep eating it until it's bare ground and destroy it. And so shepherds need to move them to different pastures so that they don't just destroy things around them and they, they will destroy themselves just because of uh, the things they will, you know, kind of settle for when they are offered uh, instead of being, having good um, grass. And so do those descriptions remind you of anyone? <laughs> Needing continuous care, stubborn, easily afraid, need to be protected, destructive to our to, to ourselves. Oops, sorry, I kind of like slipped there. The sheep are destructive to themselves, but we're a little destructive to ourselves, right? We can destroy things around us that we can be afraid and stressed and worried about many things. I mean, do we ever go through a day or a week where there's a moment where we didn't have fear, we didn't get worried or stressed about something? And we're very needy. We just are not made to live on our own. We can't really take care of ourselves. Because if we're left to ourselves, as you can see, we just kind of destroy the world and we destroy each other. Uh, And that's not how God meant it to be. And so shepherds with sheep must be attentive. They need to guide, protect, 
and feed. And it's a very personal image. This isn't like, um, you know, hey, God's like the, you know, the CEO of this huge company, and we're kind of like down on the ground floor. We're kind of the grunt workers. We just, we just do things for God. We never get to interact with them. Maybe we get to interact like with the middle managers, but uh, mid-level managers, but not with God Himself. But no, a shepherd is a very personal, intimate uh, image that the shepherd is with the sheep. And there's this phrase that people often use about when they're talking about pastors. They say that pastors should smell like sheep because if you're a shepherd. You should smell like the sheep because you're with the sheep all the time, that you're with people. And so when we apply that image to God, it's like God should smell like the sheep if he's going to be a good shepherd, if he's going to be with the sheep. And so God uses this, the relationship between sheep and a shepherd as a fitting image for our relationship with him. You can see Psalm, uh, verse 80, um, or Psalm 80, verse 1. Let me just read, I think it was actually... Uh, Last week, or two weeks ago, we read from Psalm um, 103 or 95, 6 and 7. Both say basically the same thing. So Psalm 100, verse 3 says, uh, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Psalm 95, verses 6 to 7. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His land. And then it says, today if you hear his voice, meaning if you hear the voice of your shepherd, don't harden your heart to it. And so this psalm, as I said, is written by David, who is the king of Israel for a time, the greatest king of Israel besides Jesus, that he's the king that is like, we want a king like that. Each leader after David was like, uh, and here's where they were like David, and here's where they were not like David, because we want him to be like David, even though he was a very messed up guy. What you know about him is that he wrote all tons of these psalms, this way that he interacted with God, that even though he made huge mistakes, he always stayed committed to God and wanted to follow him. But David, before he was king, was a shepherd. So 1 Samuel 16, 11, uh, when the prophet Samuel is uh, trying to, God says, go find this new guy that's going to be the king of Israel. And he goes to this family, the family of Jesse, and God said, this is the family. And so he's like, okay, this guy has a bunch of sons. Which one is it? And so he prays about each one, and God says no to each one. And so he's like, what's going on, God? And he says, Jesse, do you have any other sons? And then he says, well, yeah, the, the youngest, he's out keeping the sheep. And then they call him in, and then Samuel says, this is the one God was talking about. This is the one who's supposed to be the king. And, but he was out keeping the sheep, so he wasn't with everyone else. And in 1 Samuel 17, 34 to 37, which we'll talk a little more about next week, when he is in this valley, he's about to battle Goliath, this huge giant, part of the Philistine army, and he puts Saul's armor on, the guy who's the king at the time, and Saul says, you need to wear some armor if you're going to fight this guy. So he puts his arm on, he's like, no, this isn't going to work. And Saul's like, what are you doing? Like, you need to have some armor if you're going to go fight this big giant. He says, no, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when I was doing that, I struck down lions and bears, and the Lord delivered me from them, just like he's going to deliver me from this guy, this giant. In Psalm 78, verses 70 to 72, it says, God chose David and took him from tending the sheep to be the shepherd of his people. And so David has good credentials. He knows what sheep are like. He shepherded his life. He even sees some of what he does uh, as the king um, in, on behalf of Israel as being like a shepherd. And he knows what makes a good shepherd. And this psalm starts off with you know, the simple words, uh, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. You see that it first says, a psalm of David, which is telling us who wrote it, and we talked about that. And the Lord is my shepherd. And so, uh, God being described as shepherd. He's saying, God is my shepherd. This is how he interacts with me. 
And it's written from the perspective of a needy sheep. David's not writing as a shepherd. It's almost like, here we go, get excited. Ah, this is your real life 3D thing. So, we've got the shepherd and his sheep. And then it's like David zooms in to become one of these sheep. And it's like, what am, if he's a sheep and God is his shepherd, he's like putting himself in the perspective of that sheep and being like, what is true for me? I'm a sheep and I've got God as my shepherd. So what's true of me if I'm in the perspective of this? And I, I'm really excited about this because when I was a um, kid, my sister and I would always like talk for our animals. I don't know if anybody else did that. Like, hey, you guys grew up on farms. You know, our dog would be like, Oh, hey, what are we doing today? Oh, nothing, Poe. That was my dog's name. So we'd like talk to the sheep and the pigs and stuff. And then my cousin shared with me at my, my nephew's uh, birthday uh, a few months back, um, and she was telling us, like, um, I discovered that talking for animals isn't really a normal thing um, because I talked for our dog, and my boyfriend thought it was really weird. He's like, what are you doing? And so she's like, you guys, it was so normal for us when she would come over, our cousin would hang out with us, and she'd see us talking for animals. So she's like, hey, everyone else does this. And she discovered last year, not normal. So, But this is really fun that he zooms in, and we get to hear, what is that sheep thinking? Don't you ever wonder, what's that animal thinking? Like, what are they doing? What's that squirrel think he's doing on top of that pole? Going, nah, nah, nah. What's he doing? Why is he doing that? Why is he making that noise? Could we, what is this animal thinking? And David takes us into, he's like pretending to be a sheep almost. So he says, God is my shepherd. He's taking the perspective of a needy sheep that's dependent on a shepherd to provide for it. And there's this book I've recommended. The shepherd looks at Psalm 23. Um, if you want to grab it online, it's you know pretty cheap. It's an oldish book. There's like over a million copies sold because it you know just help people so much. But one of his themes he talks about is the health and happiness of the sheep is dependent upon whom is their shepherd. Bad shepherd, health and sheep not healthy and happy. Good shepherd, sheep is healthy and happy. And whose whose care and management are they under? And so is God a good shepherd who's going to provide for the needs of his sheep? We find out, David, from the perspective of a sheep, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. God is going to manage me and care for me well. He's going to be attentive to what I need. And it's because the Lord is my shepherd, David says, I shall not want. My deepest and most essential needs will not be left lacking. I'm going to be looked after. I'm going to be taken care of. The shepherd is attentive to my needs. And we saw in Luke chapter 11, verses 11 through 13, uh, where it's talking about God as a father gives good gifts. What what father would, when the child asks for you know food or bread, would give them a scorpion? No, we can trust God to give us good things, provide for us. And so our question is, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is a good shepherd, that he's attentive to your most essential and deepest needs? And it's like David is one of these sheep and just imagine if we're all like hanging around, you know, all the sheep hanging out at the water cooler or whatever, and there's come different flocks, and the one says, they're all talking about their shepherds, what's your shepherd like? And the one says, well, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Look at him. It's like he's proud. I'm proud to be one of his sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't want. They're all, you know, grumbling and complaining, like, hey, you know, my shepherd's pretty good, but he kind of misses the mark on this. So like, my shepherd's awful. We are, we're always afraid. And then one says, well, the Lord is my shepherd. And I shall not want. They're content, completely satisfied. I couldn't ask for anyone better. And so for you, do you feel that way? Do you feel proud that the Lord is your shepherd? Like if people are you know, asking you, like, how's life going? Are you like, you know, I've, God is my shepherd. Like, 
I don't want. I mean, things aren't exactly how I planned them, but I don't. I have no uh, wants that he is, you know, the deep, most essential ones that he's not fulfilling. So we can ask, what does the Lord do? What does a good shepherd do? Why will we have no lack? He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, why is that? And it kind of gives the job description of a shepherd. We're doing verses 1 through 3, and these action words tell us what the shepherd does. First it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And the way that's worded is that, you know, it's saying he causes me to lie down. But don't imagine, like, here's a sheep, and it's like, you know, lie down, lie down. He's not, like, forcing the sheep to lie down. Sheep will only lie down uh, under certain, certain conditions are met. Um, and those conditions um, are that they're free from hunger and thirst, threat, insects, and rivalry with other sheep. So... It's kind of more like he settled me down. These are things that can unsettle the sheep. They're, they're kind of restless. Like, I, I can't sit down if I don't know, I'm, if, I'm gonna be, if I'm hungry and thirsty, I don't know where I'm going to get my next drink or my next meal. They're kind of restless. And um, if they've got threats, like, I'm, I'm scared. What's going to happen to me? They, they can't, they're kind of restless. And if there's insects bugging them, you know, like getting in their ears and whatnot, like kind of restless. And if there's other sheep being like, you know, butting them out, saying like, no, this is my spot. And they're kind of like competing, like they're going to be, Restless, But God, he frees us from those factors. The good shepherd frees us from those. He settles us down. We're free or relieved from those things that make us restless. And then he says also next, he says he, he uh, makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And sheep are afraid to drink from moving water. Uh, so they would sometimes find a spot in the stream that maybe maybe there's some rocks kind of blocking the flow, so maybe this is like a, a spot where the water isn't moving fast, or if it's all moving too fast, the shepherds would kind of dig a little channel so that the, some water would go off from the quick-moving stream and it would just kind of sit in this little pool until the sheep could all line up there. But some of these books I've read talking about being shepherds will talk about how you'd watch the sheep. They come to the water all excited, and they just keep moving down, looking for a spot, and they, oh, maybe they all found one right here where the water isn't moving fast, and so they're all kind of like grouping into that. But the shepherd uh, really makes water accessible to the sheep. Find water that isn't moving too quickly or create a way for them to, to get by it. Um, and one key word here is he leads me. He doesn't drive me. And the way shepherds in Israel would work, it wasn't uh, here's the sheep, and here's the, the shepherd just driving them all, you know, like, you know, whipping them or whatever they're doing, yelling at them. But no, it's they lead. So the shepherd is out in front of the sheep. And so they would sometimes, so the sheep are following them, and they might have this little, like, pipe they play with a specific tune that the sheep have become accustomed to, or just where their voice maybe have some sort of, you know, call that they do that kind of has a rhythm to it or something like that. And there could be multiple shepherds, uh, gathered around like one well or one, you know, just kind of hanging out. Okay, we're going to draw some water for our sheep, you know. I'm going to hang out with the guys, the other shepherds in the area. We're sitting there getting a drink for our sheep. And then one sheep, and all the sheep are intermingling. Just imagine this, like, oh, chaos, you know, like, where, how am I going to find my sheep amongst all these? And then if one shepherd decides to go, they can just go and do their call or play their uh, instrument. And then the, their sheep know their voice, and so they'll come separate from the rest, and then they just carry on and keep moving. And I actually experienced this. We didn't, you know, we weren't like shepherds, but we had like these two kind of sheep for fun. Um, and my sister had always had an interesting name. She named them Candy and Skittles. So just, that's kind of what was on my sister's mind apparently, Candy and Skittles. Or they're going to grow up to be that? I don't know. Um, but eventually my sister moved out 
Uh, and my parents were like, yeah, we're not going to keep the sheep anymore. So they gave them to one of the farmers nearby that had a whole bunch of sheep. Um, but even but years later, um, my dad um, had all these cookies, like scrap cookies from bakeries that he would use to feed the bear. Um, another story. Uh, but those cookies would sometimes be like, hey, Candy and Skittles, you're going to get a treat of cookies. And we'd give them the cookies. And so then my dad and sister and all of us would come and visit Candy and Skittles every once in a while. And we bring a bucket of cookies. We come up to this fence, and you know, just I mean, this is acres and acres of sheep all over the place. And we, they would just yell, "Candy Skittles!" And just wait for a while, and then <laughs> these two sheep would come running over. Um, after all these years, they like, knew what our voices sounded like, knew to come, and we'd be dumping these cookies, and all the other sheep were like, "What's going on?" Whoa! You know, they get in on the action too, and so it was just we saw that they like knew our voice. And when we look at the you know, famous New Testament passage on sheep is John chapter 10. And there Jesus talks about, my sheep, uh, I know them and they know me. They know my voice and I'm calling them out and they're following me, listening to me, um, coming when they, when they hear my voice. They recognize it. And so for us, as we look at these passages, we have, there's this restlessness that we can experience. When we're restless, we need God to settle us down. And so what makes you restless? What gets you stressed? worried and anxious or afraid or what irritates you or annoys you or frustrates you what gets you overwhelmed these are sheep need to be the only way a sheep's going to lie down is if you take away those things that make them restless and so uh, just share in your groups um, you don't have to share a few personally but you can but in general what makes us restless uh, what gets us stressed and worried and anxious and afraid uh, what irritates us what annoys us what gets you overwhelmed and so just share in your groups those things that make you make people restless.
There's a lot of things that can make us restless. You know, we could be money or health or how people we love or care about are doing. Um, it could be our job. What you know, are we doing a good job? Or you know, am I going to get fired? Um, excuse me. What does my boss think of me? Um, could be church thing. Maybe you have ministry involved in it. Like I get kind of restless about that. And I think of it as anytime you know my body isn't able, I can't just like kind of sit and breathe deep and just be at rest and at peace. It's like if I can't do that, something's going on. Whenever I, I sense that in my body, that my body is restless, it's like okay, something's going on deeper here. There's something making me restless. And Saint Augustine, who lived. Uh, into the 300s, from the 300s to the 400s um, AD, said, Our hearts are restless until they can find their rest in you, speaking to God. Is that God made us with a restlessness that can only be set at ease when we find our rest in Him. Because when we have that stuff going on, something we're afraid of, something we're annoyed by, something we're worried about, it's like, I'm kind of restless until I can get that fixed. Like, this person needs to stop doing that, or this person needs to pay me, or I need to take care of that problem. We feel like this rest. And as soon as I get that, I can be at rest. And Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And then we're seeing here in this psalm, uh, the good shepherd uh, makes us to lie down. He takes away the things that make us restless. And we'll get a little more specific on that at the end of the sermon. But Jesus had these invitations. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And it's key to notice what he says after that. He says, rest for your souls, which means that it doesn't necessarily say, hey, I'm going to give you guys a vacation. Uh, you're not going to have to work or do anything or have any effort in life. No. As we go through life with all the things we need to do, our responsibilities and people to care for, we can have a, a soul rest. Not maybe nice. We could be physically tired um, and doing a lot of things, and yet we can have a soul that's uh, at peace, that's at rest, that's like, I'm not anxious of all of this. Um, I'm I'm good with it. God's got this. God's got me. I don't have to worry about it. He said, come to me all who thirst. Come to me all who hunger. Jesus making us uh, lie down green pastures with our hunger. That, and he's saying him, himself, he's the rest we want. He's the green pasture we need. He's the uh, quiet, still waters that we need, that he makes himself accessible to us. In John 10, we see him talking about, I'm laying down my life for the sheep, that I may give them abundant life. Uh, abundant life in himself as their shepherd, uh, in God as their father. The green pastures and still waters that truly satisfy, uh, he gives those to us so we aren't restlessly searching for them. Verse 3 says, he restores my soul. Another just, you know, part of the job description of a shepherd. Uh, makes me lay down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul, or my soul could be me. He restores me. And this is talking about a lost sheep, a sheep that's gotten away from the flock. And we're, there's two actions that a good shepherd would take. You go after the sheep, and you bring the sheep back. And this verse is just talking about the second. He restores my soul. He brings me back. So he's gone after the sheep and has brought the sheep back. And uh, we had this, I forgot the book um, to bring with me. So I don't have the quote written here, uh, but I'm going to try to paraphrase what it said. Um, describing what a sheep does uh, when it knows it's lost. And it talks about how it would go hide in a little spot, maybe under a bush or behind a boulder, and it would just start uh, bleeding, uh, bleating, like, bah, bah. I know, don't, you don't have to clap. I know, I know you want to clap. Uh, but, you know, sheep's making noise, and there's only going to be a matter of time 
before a predator hears that and is going to come and get the sheep. And so it's like, you know, it's like time can't be wasted. The shepherd needs to find the sheep that is basically saying like, dinner's here, dinner's here, you know, to all the predators. And so, but the sheep needs to be brought back. It, it, it can't do it itself. It needs to be found and brought back. And so this is an action. He restores me, restores my soul. It's an action done to the sheep, initiated by the shepherd. And so when we see Jesus as a good shepherd, is that Jesus will come after us when we are lost and separated from him. He will come after you if you're a part of his flock, that he doesn't let anybody uh, get lost. And then the second part of the verse says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so leading in paths of righteousness is the lost sheep has now been returned to follow the shepherd on the paths that the shepherd is taking them, these right paths, the shepherd being, so they were lost and now they're back on the path following the, the shepherd. In this, uh, in Isaiah 53, 6, a famous passage that Jesus uh, fulfills, says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And so sheep, when they turn to their own way, they go astray. Uh, and then the good shepherd comes and gets them and puts them back on the right path, the path of righteousness, the path of following him. In uh, Luke 5, Jesus asks, Why are you hanging out with all these sinners, all these people with messed up lives, all these needy people, all these weak people, all these sinful people, all these people who are failures? None of them are keeping God's law. They are. None of them are righteous. And Jesus says, I'm a physician calling sick people to repentance. In Luke 15, we're told the story. Jesus he gets asked the same question. Why are you hanging out with all these dirtbags, all these people with messed up, broken lives? And Jesus tells a story. Um, you know, let me just turn there quick. It's worth hearing. Luke chapter 15, verses 3 through 7. This is a picture of the, a sheep being restored to the flock. It always seems I'm the worst at flipping pages when I'm trying to do it in front of you all. Okay. Luke chapter 15 says... Uh, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. So the image, when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, Rejoicing, And at that point, that quote I wanted to share earlier, um, the sheep at that point has been so traumatized by its separation and its fear that it literally can't walk by itself. And so the shepherd puts it on his shoulders and then just carries it back to the flock. That when it's gone astray, it's in this place far away, afraid, vulnerable to predators, and the shepherd goes after it, puts it on his shoulders, brings it back, rejoicing. And so repentance... This is what Jesus was calling people to. Make a U-turn. You've gone astray. You're on your own paths. You've gone away from the shepherd. And now I want you to do a U-turn. Turn around, repent, come back to the shepherd. So what Jesus came to do. We're told in Luke 19, he's come to uh, seek and to save the lost. He's going after the lost, bringing them back, putting them on the right path. Turning, turn from following your own way and follow me as your shepherd. Come on the right path with me. Follow me. Don't go off astray. And basically Jesus called the discipleship is make me, your shepherd. And John 10.4 says, He goes before them, 
and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. In the last part of these three verses, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. Why does he do this? And God's name is who he is, his character, his reputation. And to maintain the reputation of a good shepherd, he must do what a good shepherd does. And good shepherds do not lose sheep. They go after the sheep, and they bring them back. His reputation is at stake. So why do I do this? It's so I can maintain my reputation as a good shepherd. This is who I am. Uh, who I am is a good shepherd. I go after the lost sheep. In Ezekiel 34, God uh, gives this just scathing uh, condemnation of the leaders of Israel. And he goes through it and says all the things that they're not doing. He says, you leaders of Israel, you're bad shepherds. You don't care for the sheep. You don't strengthen the weak. You don't heal the sick. You don't bind up the injured. You don't bring back the strays. You don't seek the lost. You rule over the sheep with force and with harshness. And God says, so I'm going to take over. I'm going to shepherd my people. Uh, but actually, I'm going to send my servant, uh, this my servant king to do so. So it's like, wait, is it God or the new human leader that's going to do this? Well, in Jesus, it's both. He's God with us, the new human leader that comes. But if you turn all the negatives of what the bad shepherds aren't doing and make them positives, you can now know what a good shepherd does. A good shepherd takes care of the flock. A good shepherd t- strengthens the weak. A good shepherd heals the sick. A good shepherd binds up the injured. A good shepherd brings back strays. A good shepherd seeks the lost. A good shepherd rules gently over the sheep. Jesus said, I have come to seek and save the lost in Luke 19. And John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd coming to fulfill that. So if there's anyone that we can trust to do their job, it is God. His job description, his role, shepherd. Job description is these things. And if there's anyone we can trust to do their job, it is God. God will always act in a way that is consistent with who he is, no matter whether we deserve it or we've earned it. It's not about us, it's about him. For his name's sake, who he is, his reputation, what he represents, he will act with integrity. God is a good shepherd, which means he's attentive to all of our needs. So the question we started with was, is it safe to be honest with God about my needs weaknesses, and failures. How does God respond? Can God be trusted with the real you, the needy you, the weak you, the sinful you, the struggling you, the doubting you, the you that needs healing, that's gone astray, that needs guidance, the you that's restless, that needs protection, that needs guidance and leading, that needs to be brought back from going astray. Can we trust God with that you, that me? And there can tend to be needs that we keep God out of. He can't be trusted with this. This is uh, either too menial, he doesn't care about it, or this is just too bad, I can't bring it to him. So I just need to kind of clean myself up, and then I'll come back to the flock, just be like, don't worry, kind of, you know, I hit the salon, I got my little hooves trimmed, you know, I don't know, but, you know, manicure, pedicure, joke, no, nothing. All right, but we come back, it's like, I'm all cleaned up, I've been showered, I'm, I'm good, I was lost, but now I'm back. That's not how it works. The good shepherd needs to go get the sheep, uh, which means when God you know, takes on this job title, so he's like, this is a good way to describe me, because this is how I am with you, that you're one of my sheep. I, know, I already know how needy you are. I already know how weak you are. I already know how much you need from me. I already know you're going to go astray and you're going to have problems. I need to get food for you. And I don't care. That's who I am. I'm going to take care of you. So if you wanted to write down a big idea for today, it would be this. God responds to you 
with the affection and attention of a good shepherd. God responds to you with the affection and attention of a good shepherd. And if you want to personalize it, you can just write, God responds to me. Not, not Mitch, but you. God responds to me with the attention, the affection and attention of a good shepherd. God knows how needy you are, and he responds as a good shepherd. So the question is, do you believe that? Do we really believe that that is how God responds to our needs, our weaknesses, and our failures? And this has been one of my favorite series to uh, prepare for, because it's kind of just going through this really powerful psalm, this really powerful image, slowly. Next week we're just going to do verse 4. Um, and so it's getting into this, and sometimes things that are familiar to us can kind of lose their power. And so it's been really helpful for me to just go through this, like, yeah, this month is going to be Psalm 23 month. I invite you, you know, every day that you remember it, it's six verses, read it, and then consider what part of this do I, is really sounds like good news to me, that's encouraging to me, or which part is it like, I don't know if I believe that, and start praying, God, would you show me how you've already done this in my life, and you help me to see how you're continuing to do it. We are restless, as St. Augustine said, until we find our rest in you, rest in God. And one of the cool lines from this that he says a couple times are, the presence of the shepherd makes all the difference. That it completely changes the scene, whether the scene is scary, whether the sheep are kind of competing with each other and fighting one another. When the shepherd's in the scene, suddenly it changes. The sheep are focused on him. It's like, is there danger? Oh, okay, but the shepherd's here. And, oh, I want to fight for my position. Oh, the shepherd's here. He's going to get us what we need. And the shepherd, in the scene, the shepherd's presence makes all the difference. But the question is, how do we find our rest in Him? Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Him. So how do we find our rest in Him? And so we're going to end this time as, uh, with some, I guess a little exercise, you could call it. Uh, where are they? They're here. These are, um, many of you are familiar with the four Gs. Pass those around. And this is just some questions and Activities I, or exercises I go through. Um, and then if you don't have a pen, I'll pass these around too. We're not going to go through this whole thing. We're just going to get a start. So two of the things that um, create restlessness in us. Uh, you've heard me talk about them before, probably, are if-onlys and what-ifs. And if you have a whole bunch of what-ifs going on in your head, like, what if this happens? What if they do this? What if this? That gets you restless. And the other thing is if-onlys. Like, if only this person would do this, or if only I could get this much money, or if only my car would work, or if only, you know, those things make us restless. And so at the bottom there, I just want you to write down... Uh, some of your what-ifs and if-onlys. You can write at the bottom, or if you need more room, put it on the back. I probably would need more room. Um, so write down some of your what-ifs, whichever one of those kind of stuck out to you as most helpful. Like, what if this happens? What if that happens? Um, or if the if-only is like, if only I had this, or if only they would do that. Just you know, pick one, which one seems best for you, and just start writing some of those down.
maybe you could write more. <clears throat> what you can do with what ifs is you can turn them into even ifs. Um, so if you're saying, what if this is going to happen? What if that's going to happen? You can turn them into even ifs. And what you can use to do that on this, um, you see on this paper, it has four words that start with G. God is great, God is glorious, God is good, God is gracious. Um, and at the end of those, it says, it, it gives the implication, God is great, so I have to be in control. And so you can say, maybe you're like, what if my car breaks down and I don't have money? Uh, okay, well, even if my car breaks down and I have mon- don't have money, God is great, so I don't have to be in control. Or even if that happens, God is glorious, so I don't have to fear others. Maybe it's like, well, what if my bo- boss gives me a bad um, performance review? Well, even if he gives me a bad performance review, God is glorious, so I don't have to fear others. God is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to prove myself to God or to them. Um, I can rest secure in what God has said to me. Um, so that's what you can do with for what ifs, turn your what ifs into even ifs, and end it with one of the four G's. Um, but then there's some questions here. Well, the way I kind of get into the four G's, I, once a month I take this uh, half day where I go and I pray through these and just kind of uh, kind of think of it as like spring cleaning, you know, it's kind of like a monthly cleaning. Like, okay, God, what, what am I trying to control? That's the first one. Um, who am I afraid of? Whose approval do I want? That's the second. Where am I looking for comfort, relief, satisfaction, and fullness apart from him? That's God is good. God is gracious. How am I trying to prove myself and to whom? What am I trying to prove? And I notice there's a theme a lot of times that I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to prove myself. And it's like, oh, I'm trying to prove I have what it takes. That's usually what it is for me. And if you did the if-onlys, ask that question, well, what would that give me? Um, You see that under each of these. What would that give me? Um, If only I could, you know, have more money in my bank account. Um, And finish that. Well, what would that give me? If only I could... You had blank, then I would blank. I'd feel peaceful. I'd feel at rest. So it could be, for the first one, if only I could control how much money I'm getting or what people think of me or what people do, then I'd be at peace. And then ask yourself, how is God a better source of what I want that to give me? I want peace from that thing. How is God actually a better source of peace um, than that thing? Under God is glorious. Um, If only they thought I was great. If only they thought I'm super smart. If only they thought, you know... I was more tan. That's for me. I'm pale. If only they thought I was more tan, then I'd be respected, or then I'd be happy, and say, okay, I want respect and happiness. How does God give that to me better than this, as a better source than what this thing is? And so I think you're getting getting the picture, but it's always, if only this, then I would have blank. How is God a better source of that last thing? That's how we can find rest in our good shepherd. It's like turning to him from those other things we're restless about. What if, what if, what if? If only this, if only that. If only I could do this. It's like, okay, I'm restless. And I'm going to turn to you, my good shepherd, your control, that uh, you're the one who approves of me, that I, you're taking me to green pastures. I don't have to prove myself to you. You love me um, no matter what I do. I'm just going to give you one last thing to do. And you wrote down those if onlys and those what ifs. And just think to yourself, what aspect of God being a good shepherd is sticking out to you today? What aspect of God being a good shepherd is sticking out to you today? Uh, maybe it's a picture, maybe it's a word, maybe it's one of these actions. What aspect of, of God as your shepherd is sticking out to you today? And then put right it by those things, write it above those things, or on the side of those things that you wrote down. It's like, that's who God is, and that's what he does in those situations that you uh, put down. So, as you're thinking about it, I'm just going to read Psalm Twenty-three verses one through three again. Maybe one of these words will stick out. Psalm of David: The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. 
makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You can write your thing down as the worship team comes forward.